1844, they have a special last day, fourth day of the conference on April 9th. And Joseph is not at the meeting. It's run by the Quorum of the Twelve. And it's just the men. It's just the priesthood, the elders of the church. And there's over 1,300 of them there. And Brigham gets up. Hiram gets up. Several of the other apostles get up and say, we are going to elect Joseph Smith for president. We are going to set up conferences in each of the states. We need electioneers. And we need you to go out there and we need you to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need you to campaign for Joseph Smith. And they're speaking in terms like we're going to turn the world upside down. We're going to revolutionize the world. It's very uh, enthusiastic, very straightforward. You're, you're not just going to be going out there and talking about faith, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. You're also going to be saying the nation is in trouble. Here's Joseph Smith. Here are his views. Vote for him. Happy Election Day Eve episode of The Cultural Hall. Now, here's the deal. I recognize that there will be several of you who are listening to this in the future or after Election Day actually occurs. I'd just like to mark to stamp that time in history. I could think of no better way as we go into Election Week than to talk about the time when Joseph Smith, that is the first prophet of our church, ran for President of the United States. Did you know that? To some, they may not even know that that occurred. To others, they're like, yeah, old news, pal. Give me something I didn't know. Well, I'll give you a whole episode of things that you didn't know. Those who were called to serve as missionaries to help get Joseph Smith elected. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. That's what this whole episode of the Cultural Hall is all about. Happy pre-election day eve. I'm not sure that's an actual holiday. I- enjoy. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. You're going to have to indulge me. We're going to get church history nerdy today. Uh, I've got Derek Sainsbury, and we are going to talk not only about him, get to know him for a little bit at the beginning of this, but we're going to talk about his book that is 16 years in the making. It's called Storming the Nation, which I love already, but there's also a byline to it. It's the unknown contributions of Joseph Smith's political missionaries. So we're going to get an opportunity to talk about Joseph Smith uh, running for president. We're probably going to touch on things like uh, the Council of 50. Maybe we'll get into uh, some of the martyrdom as we talk about this. But first, we need to get to know our guest. Welcome in, Derek. Welcome. Thank you. Now, uh, I guess it bears uh, knowing as we get into this context. Who are you and why do you care about this? Um, I... I grew up uh, kind of a, uh, from my early teenage years on to, to be kind of a political junkie. I can still remember uh, eight years old at the 1980 election, uh, you know, cheering for Ronald Reagan. And, uh, <laughs> and while my politics have changed over the years, uh, back and forth or whatever, I'm, I've always been interested in politics. And when I came home from my mission... Where'd you uh, serve? I served in Italy. Okay. Which... Uh, kind of hard these days to think about and remember and sure but but uh blessed of course too with the uh somewhat recent um uh temple dedication oh, and, yeah. that, and that for the people there it's been it's been awesome for them uh when i came home um at, at some point i real I, I read that joseph smith had ran for president uh-huh 
And it was actually my faith crisis that I've ever, that I've ever had. Wait, wait, wait. That caused you to question? The, well, like, I was the... like, well, you know, I was very immature, very young still in the gospel. I'd only started to, you know, come unto Jesus really right before my mission mm-hmm. and didn't know much about anything. And that kind of bothered me that he, first of all, that he was involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Just because you feel the like there should be that separation between church and state? That's what. That, yeah, that's what we know now, right? Right. And uh, in our current time, and so that bothered me a little bit. And then the idea that uh, he didn't win—I mean, <laughs> if he's a prophet, yeah. Again, and an immature mind. Sure. Why didn't he win? And so um, I got uh, when I got to graduate school, when I got to my PhD, I was like, I'm gonna—I'd read a little bit, and I'm like, I'm gonna solve this problem in my mind about what this, what's going on with this. And so that led to you know, a paper in my graduate uh, seminar to my dissertation, and now finally to this book to, to kind of bring this all together, figure out why he did it. And most importantly, the discovery I've had going along is how much it has uh, built my faith, learning about these uh, over 600 men and one woman who, who went out and did this, went out and campaigned for Joseph Smith. And the consequences of that for them and for the whole church has really actually turned it from kind of a, a, a faith crisis to being a very faith-building experience for me. And, and I think it's probably fair, at least on some level, to say a little bit of a faith obsession, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I am a Joseph Smith for president. My, my Excuse me, my wife is a Joseph Smith for president widow. <laughs> uh, Meaning, so. of course, countless hours spent with your obsession yes. where she has been yes. like, I knew I had a husband somewhere. Where did I leave him? Where is he? Oh, he's prepping for this book. Yep. Um, the, the way that this episode will go, uh, similar to when we sometimes have these authors on, we obviously don't want to give away the whole book. We would encourage you uh, to be able to go out and actually get the book and support Derek. Uh, again, the name of the book, Storming the Nation, The Unknown Contributions of Joseph Smith's Political Missionaries. Um, but we are going to hit some points that, that I feel like are important, that, that offer us some great information and also give us a, quite, a, quite a bit of information that also will lead us to want to know more. So uh, let, let's just cue it up from the beginning. Why is it that Joseph Smith would run for president? And why don't, you know, why don't we know very much about it? Why did you have to find out about it? Not until you come home from a mission. It's still right. not talked about that much. Probably more That's than right. ever, but, but still not much. Right. So, I mean, let me take that backwards and talk about why we don't know much about it. Um, at the turn of the 19th century, um, the church had just given up polygamy, they'd given up uh, politics, right, being involved directly in politics, and were trying to be accepted by America. And there was a lot of drama with that nationally, even with the Reed Smoot hearings and, and um, other, other things. And it's at that same time that B.H. Roberts uh, edits Joseph Smith history, but what we know as the history of the church the documentary history of the church, and then also writes his own series about it. And it's in that, in that environment of trying to downplay those parts of the church in the past that were political. Um, he writes off Joseph's campaign as, as a footnote, as a, just a, a good intention kind of thing, that it wasn't really that serious. Hmm. And as historians wrote, I mean, he kind of, his, his work was kind of the backbone for, Latter-day Saint historians for a long time. And so if you read all these different books that have been written about Joseph Smith, really, if they talk about the, the campaign, it's a footnote. 
And if they do talk about it in that footnote or in, in two or three sentences, it's not a, a serious thing. And while in the late late sixties into the seventies, some uh, new Mormon historians, as they were called, so the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, you're talking about, yeah, okay. they started to, they started to write some uh, some books that uh, started to take it a little bit more seriously, but still not in very much depth. And even in official church uh, publications up until very recently, it was still that kind of idea of oh, he just ran. Um, because they wanted someone they could vote for in good conscience, or he ran because he wanted to just bring attention to the plight of the saints, or so forth and so on. And luckily, um, you know, starting with uh, with Richard Bushman's biography, he he spends a good page page and a half on it and starts to look at it in more intensely. And and uh, just, a, Park, just just a quick footnote there: uh, Richard Bushman's book is Rough Stone Rolling. Yes, yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he actually takes some time to talk about it and why it fits in with what's going on during that time period. And then um, Ben Park's new book, uh, The Kingdom of Nauvoo, he spends some time on that as well and why there's, a, why there's a run for president and what that has to do with what's going on in Nauvoo. And now, of course, my book's coming out. And then Spencer McBride with uh, Joseph Smith Papers, he has a book coming out next year that's uh, focusing on the run for president as well. So it, it hasn't been noticed because it was just kind of written off and, and, and we're kind of uncomfortable with, with church and state. Yeah. And yet, um, you know, in reality, that's, that's how the church was headed mm-hmm. and lived with a Zion society. And, and what we expect, uh, you know, those of us that uh, are believers in this faith, what we expect to happen in the millennium. So you've teased a, a little bit around some of the things. Why is it, in fact, that Joseph Smith ran for president? So there's two strands that are kind of happening at the same time in Nauvoo. Joseph Smith is looking for ways to protect the church. You know, we've just been kicked out of Missouri. There's been awful, awful things that have happened sponsored by the government mm-hmm. of Missouri. And so in Nauvoo... Joseph and, and those around him are looking for ways to protect the church politically, going to visit Van Buren, uh, getting a charter that allows for kind of consolidated government and special, um, special clauses in uh, judicial law to protect Joseph from being kidnapped and taken to Missouri. They're looking for ways to do that and um, eventually leading to a presidential run when they feel cornered politically they write to all the presidential candidates and none of them are going to offer help. But the, the second strand, and so he decides to run, right? Mm-hmm. The second strand that's weaving around that at the same time period are the continuing uh, development of the restoration where Joseph is bringing out the Relief Society. He's bringing out particularly the temple ordinances, which you know have a, have a church-state kind of connotation to it. And so in the background, you have this idea of heavenly governance that's going on that Joseph is even talking about publicly, you know, in eight, starting in 1842 about the idea of uh, God directed government theocracy. He even uses the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have these two things going together. And when they, they, they kind of come together there in the winter and spring of 1844, when Joseph decides to run for president as a way to help protect the saints. And at the same time, he's going to initiate the council of 50, which takes this idea of heavenly governance and the council of 50 basically takes over the campaign 
uh, in March and it's full steam ahead. So oh, a lot of people, you know, they hear you say council of 50 and, and we don't know too much about it. I know, uh, from a conversation with Ben Park, with his book, kingdom of Nauvoo, he goes into the, um, in our discussion, the, the polygamist, uh, part of the council of 50, um, those notes that were asked to, to be burned, um, but instead are buried and, and have since been published as part of the Joseph Smith papers by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, but there are other parts to it, this governing part of the Council of 50 that I think is important to maybe el- uh, elaborate a little bit more on. Similar to Joseph Smith running for president, I don't know that people recognize that there was a Council of 50 at this time in Nauvoo. Yeah, so the Council of 50 starts in, in March, March 11th. He's Joseph's had these ideas uh, of this heavenly governance, and there's uh, he reads two letters from some uh, men in the church who were up in Wisconsin getting lumber for the saints and they uh, for the temple, and they've been kicked off the land and told they can't preach to the Indians. So they're suggesting to Joseph to move to Texas, which at that point is the an independent republic, and start mm-hmm. a colony there. And Joseph, but the men that are with him says, hey, okay, tomorrow we're going we're gonna to talk more about this. Can you keep a secret? And they're like, yes. And the secret <laughs> in the sense that, uh, and these are all, most of them have been in doubt, right? So they've already made those kind of promises. But uh, the next day they start and on, on March 11th. And on that very first day, one of the things they're looking for is all, quote, all seem agreed to find a place for a theocracy, unquote. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're looking for somewhere to go out west or down to Texas or out to Oregon where they can have a colony that can be on their own and build up this Zion society, which includes this idea of heavenly governments, or he's going to call it theodemocracy. And at the same time, they take over Joseph's presidential campaign. And by, by May, they've decided to put all their eggs in that basket for now to get him elected president. They feel like that's the best course. And so they're meeting several times a week, sometimes not for a few weeks, but they're continually discussing uh, not only the, the, the abstract idea of heavenly governance, right? Mm-hmm. But the practical right now, how do we protect the church? Um, and they put the eggs in the basket of the, the campaign, but they have on the side burner, where do we go next, right? Where can we go to be, to not be persecuted anymore, to fully realize Zion, to have our own, our own thing, to be independent, if you will. So if we can put this in kind of a modern day terms, I mean, think about it. If there was a group, they are new to wherever you live, you're, you know, you're listening to this, they, they kind of move in, uh, they move in on force, a lot of people, and they're saying, you know, not only are we going to lead in the government that is organized here in this land, but also we're going to bring a God component uh, and make it that theodemocracy like you're talking about. That today, if we put it in today's thoughts and practices, how would we react? I think for a lot of people uh, in in Illinois, coming into Nauvoo, they had that reaction that I think we as a people would have today. Sometimes it's very easy for us to be like, well, why didn't you like us? We were nice right. people. We were you, right. you guys persecuted us. You drew us from Missouri. But if, if we can put it in, in a way that we can maybe uh, look at it you know, on its head or look at it from a different perspective, if that happened today, we certainly would have probably pretty similar reaction 
to those that were around the saints in these early times. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. And while uh, the idea of heavenly governance is it's more hinted about openly, right? It's mm-hmm. more talked about in the council, but even, even in Joseph's political pamphlet, which these missionaries take with them and which has been mailed to all the governments in the, in the nation uh, and to all the newspaper, most of the newspapers in the nation, he does talk in there about his ability to be able to supplicate heaven, right? On behalf of, of the people. So there is this, this dangerous third rail of, of talking about religion. Yeah. The prophet. And they're not shining, you know, that it's not like Mitt Romney's campaign where he was trying to downplay that aspect. All right. And, and some would even say, actually, and, and some would say that he even downplayed it to a fault that that's maybe why he wasn't elected. That's an episode for a different time. Sure. 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 And, but in this case, I mean, it's full on, you know, he's the best hope for the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, if they, that they feel because, you know, we talk about how intense the partisanship is right now and how divided we are. Well, that's equally so in, the, in these days, mm. between mm. the Democrats and Whigs. And, you know, you don't marry if you're a Democrat, you don't marry your daughter off to a Whig. That would just be obscene. You know, <laughs> it's a very intense and all the media in that day, almost to, uh, you know, to a T is partisan as well. The, the newspapers, which are the media, are run by the different political parties. Mm. And so it, it's a very intense partisan um, atmosphere that these missionaries are going out into, and they're touching that third rail, right? They're, they're talking about religion. They'll, you know, often the missionaries themselves, one would, one would preach religion, and then the other would preach politics. Hmm. As a as companionship. That's, people. I mean, that's a one-two punch. Yeah, particularly when they're with, with individual families, that's how they would do it. In in wide open things, it was uh, it, it was a two day conference like they had. One would preach, you know, they one was dedicated to mostly to religion, and then the next day was dedicated to Joseph Smith and his platform. So. It, it might be worth picking up a couple pieces if there is something that we've missed. When we talk about a Zion society or, you know, that theodemocracy, are there parts or pieces that, that uh, you know, you say Zion society and we all go, oh, yeah, yeah, Zion society, but that we may, factors that, that would make up a Zion society that, that we don't consider? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, so a Zion society comes from that Moses 718 scripture, right? That the city of Enoch that was one in heart, one in mind, dwelt in righteousness and no poor among them. So you have all these all these different things that they're one in. They're one religiously. They're one in governance. I just use word politics because we use that more. Right. One economically. Right. And one socially. And so all the first years of the church, they're trying to create this Zion. It's all over in the early revelations. We go to Missouri to do that, right? To create this society, a separate kind of society that has all of these things. And it's exactly the opposite of what's happening in what historians call Jacksonian America, hmm. which is purely individualistic, pluralistic, democratic uh, market economy. And so you've got a society that's trying to plan itself and create itself in a time period that's the exact opposite of, of this idea of this a united community in all things, all thinking the same way, all living the same way, all sharing the same resources kind of a thing. And that's what, for, for lack of a better explanation, that's, you can look at that as the reason why there's so much persecution of the church, particularly in Missouri. 
Well, and what creates the tinderbox, right? You have two very opposite and competing forces that all it needs is is that inciting action before everything yeah. just well in, in jackson county it's it's really one sentence in a newspaper that is is portrayed as as us in uh, inviting free blacks into a slave state mm-hmm. right in in uh in the mormon war in 1838 it's us trying to go vote in gallatin and being blocked from voting and a fist fight breaks out that leads to bats and other kinds of things being used and then rumors fly throughout the state and we have the mormon war and get kicked out so you, you know, oftentimes our narrative is, is, is because we believe in, believed in the Book of Mormon or because we believe in the visit of angels. Sure, there was some kind of consternation about that, but it was much bigger. Yeah, We were literally trying to create this Zion society, and it just didn't mesh with America at that time. Or let's, today, really. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back in the second half or in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I want to talk a little bit about how... I think for the saints of that time, they thought that Nauvoo was the answer. Nauvoo was going to be that place uh, and how they quickly found that it wasn't. We'll touch on some other things uh, as we talk with Derek Sainsbury about his book. We're going to get into talking about some of those missionaries that helped try and get Joseph Smith elected to be president of the United States of America. We'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's our ultra-mega back-to-school blowout sale. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of ultra-high-quality laptops and desktops on sale for up to 50% off the original prices. We've got demos, scratch and dents, trade-ins, and funny colored computers. It's crazy! Remember, you get a lifetime service guarantee on any PC Laptops brand computer. That means if you mess up your Windows or you get a virus or spyware, it's covered forever. Got an old yucky computer? No problem. We'll take it in on trade and we'll transfer all your pictures, music, and all your stuff to your PC Laptops computer for free. When you get your computer from PC Laptops, we'll make sure you're taken care of for a lifetime. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC Laptops desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Another great conversation here in the Cultural Hall. You guys, if you are not a Patreon subscriber of the Cultural Hall, please do so. It allows you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group uh, where everyone who is a Patreon subscriber, you get admittance, you can talk with other huge fans of the Cultural Hall. If you just go to patreon.com slash theculturalhall, as little as $3 a month, why that's half as much as Disney+, Plus, uh, up to $10 a month, still less than Netflix, check it out, and we'd love to have your financial support uh, that makes episodes like this one possible. Uh, Derek, all right, so here we go. Uh, the Saints persecuted in Missouri. They say, peace out, Nauvoo. Now Nauvoo's the place. Here is where we're going to be left alone. Let's go to this, you know, this swampy, 
you know, no one wants this part of this state. We'll take it. And there we'll have a, a, a Zion society. That's absolutely right. And um, at the very early part of it, they, jo- Joseph Smith goes to Washington and asks President Van Buren for help, redress for everything that has happened. And he basically, you know, get the famous, you know, I can do nothing for you. Right. The other part of that quote that we don't always say is Missouri. I can't, I can't go ahead. I can't go at Missouri. Right. Mm-hmm. I need those votes in the presidential election that's coming up that year in 1840. So when Joseph comes home, he, uh, when he gets to Nauvoo, he's like, we're not voting for Van Buren at all. Right. And so he convinces uh, the saints to vote for um, the Whig candidate, um, Henry Harrison. And so with that, they, the church has come into Illinois in a very interesting time. Uh, both major parties, the Whigs and the Democrats, are almost evenly split. And you have 6,000, 8,000, and then 10,000, and eventually 20,000 new people there, half of which you know, are, are potential voters. And so both parties realize pretty quickly, we need these people, right? These people and, being the members of the church. Thank you. Yeah. We need the members of the church because um, they're, they're going to be the balance. They're going to they're going to decide what happens, particularly in Western Illinois and even in the state. And so the church is able to leverage that Joseph and others to get a, a, a Nauvoo, what was called the Nauvoo Charter, which took bits and pieces from the other charters, including Springfield, Chicago, and put them all together, which gave it almost created um, a, a, a city state. Um, it, it kind of a, a protective area and a legion that uh, the Nauvoo Legion, a militia under the direction of Joseph Smith, that is the largest militia in the United States. It's larger than the standing army of the United States at that time. <laughs> which, I'm sure made, is, which I'm sure made everyone feel super easy. Exactly. Right. Well, and Joseph is given the, the rank of lieutenant general. The last person to hold that was George Washington. Hmm. And the next person to hold it would be Ulysses S. Grant. And so Joseph is really trying to create something to protect. He does not want Missouri to happen again. And initially, it, the neighbors are happy because they're looking for help from the saints politically. And the problem is, is over those four years that they're there from 1840 till when Joseph is killed, uh, the saints under Joseph's direction, do participate in, in block voting, right? That This whole idea of unity. And they go for whichever candidate is going to do the most to protect them. And so in the going back and forth between Whigs and Democrats, now the Whigs and Democrats understand they can't count on that vote. Mm-hmm. And it kind of leaves the saints without friends in the state. Because sometimes when, they would vote for one and sometimes they would vote for the other. So neither party really felt like they could count on them so neither party really helped them right and so this now we're to the 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 winter of or excuse me the fall of 1843 and joseph smith is like okay what do we do what do we do in the next coming presidential election um and the decision is made to write the different candidates the five candidates for president at that time uh, they and right saying, hey, what are you going to do for us? Mm-hmm. Right? What are you going to do to help us? We've got all these votes. We just want right. to know, what will you do for for our people? For our people. Plus, what will you do to protect us from what we see as a gathering storm? And hey, remember what's happened to us in Missouri? Yeah. And only three of the candidates write back, and and they basically say, 
you know, we can't promise anything. That, that's not how things work, even though that's exactly how things work in yeah. those days yeah. in politics. And these days, politics. but whatever. I mean, right. speculate right. as you will. Maybe right. still but, even here in the 21st century how things work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, Joseph is, uh, what do we do, right? They're in a, they're in a quandary politically. And so uh, there these men that have been um, that have been meeting together in kind of like a proto council, if you will, a pre council, a pre council of 50 council, mm-hmm. all men that had received uh, the endowment, uh, this heavenly governance kind of thing from the from the temple ordinances. And in January, uh, they they decide to run Joseph. They decide that the best way to move forward is to run Joseph. And immediately on that day, they're already talking about, hey, we're going to send electioneers. We're going to send them everywhere. What's an electioneer if people don't know? Yeah, electioneer, that's a great question. Electioneer would be a political missionary in this sense. Hmm. In, in the broader sense, it's someone who goes out and campaigns for someone. Uh, in, in, this, in this campaign, it's obviously also going to include the gospel. Hmm. And so Joseph is already on the very first day of the campaign talking about who to send, where to send them that it, it's going to be a unity idea that we've had enough, you know, one of the quotes is we've had enough Democrat and Whig presidents. We need a president of the United States. Hmm. And so he quickly writes a pamphlet uh, along with help from, from others, the few uh, kind of political veterans that he has. They sit down and they write this document, which basically puts out, it's called General Joseph Smith's Views on the policies and process of, of the government. And I, I call it views for short, because it's way too long <laughs> sure. to say. Oh, yeah. it's, like, it it's views... like when we say Mormons instead of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day right, Saints, because right. it's like, <laughs> no, we get it, and we're not trying to have a win for Satan, but the difference in syllables between one to the other is in, in amazing, Massive. intense. <laughs> yeah, and so in this pamphlet, he puts out views like... Um, he wants a smaller Congress with less pay. He thinks hmm. politicians are pompous and, and too much too much money. I'm he on board prison. so far. Amen. Yeah. He wants prison reform because he believes too many uh, of the poor are in jail because of the way justice works. Hmm. He has a program where he decides we should sell all federal land. You've got all this land still from the Louisiana Purchase that's under the government of the United States and hasn't become a state yet or states. He says, let's sell all that land and use it to purchase the freedom of the slaves hmm. and thus solve the slavery problem, hmm. which is kind of ahead of its time, right? Sure, sure. He advocates for a national bank. Uh, he advocates for bringing in Mexico and Canada and Oregon and Texas, anybody who will join the United States. He's got this idea of one, right? This idea of unity is so much part of it. But the biggest part of his campaign the thing he's most um, insistent about is that the president of the United States needs more power to be able to enforce the Bill of Rights in the states. Because what if the state itself is not going to protect its citizens? What if the state itself, as it happened in Missouri? I was going to say, is a direct reflection of how he was treated and how the saints were treated in Missouri. Absolutely. And the gathering storm he's starting to see now in Illinois. Hmm. And again, this is forward thinking. These are what happened in the amendments after the uh, after the Civil War, where the Bill of Rights is allowed to be specifically applied, you know, inside the states by the federal government. Hmm. Hmm. 
So definitely, uh, you know, ahead of his time as far as his views, that pamphlet. I mean, today we can kind of look at it uh, in that rear view mirror and go, yeah, maybe not too far off. But but a lot of people at that time, too radical. Yeah, there were, there was some, I mean, when we get into talking about the electioneers, there, there was, as I've been able to find uh, much more material on their teaching and preaching and campaigning and the reaction, there was a lot more people who were... Um, who kind of liked some of the ideas hmm. and a lot, there was a lot more uh, success going on than, than we, than we knew before. And so as these, far as people liking it. So these electioneers, these missionaries essentially of a Theo democracy, are, are they receiving callings like uh, how, like I received my call. It is anticipated. You will serve for right. the duration of 24 months to the people of, I served in Cleveland, Ohio uh, right. is, it, is it similar to you will preach the, you know, the doctrine of this theo democracy and go forth? Obviously, it's not as structured and and they didn't have that. But was it was it as formative as that for those that went to serve? Yeah. So the April conference uh, in 1844, they have a special last day, fourth day of the conference on April 9th that the uh, the Nauvoo newspapers have been have been asking all the elders that could get to Nauvoo to get there for April conference hmm. for this special meeting on the ninth. And Joseph is not at the meeting. It's run by the quorum of the 12 and it's just the men. It's just the priest of the elders of the church. And there's over, there's over 1300 of them there. Hmm. And Brigham gets up. Hiram gets up. Uh, several of the other apostles get up and say, we are going to elect Joseph Smith for president. We are going to set up conferences in each of the States we need electioneers and we need you to go out there and we need you to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need you to campaign for Joseph Smith. And they're speaking in terms like we're going to turn the world upside down. Hmm. We're going to revolutionize the world there. It's, it's very uh, enthusiastic, very straightforward, to be honest. Yeah. Pretty, pretty so, blunt. Like there's no misinterpreting blunt. what they're yeah, saying no, in this. Yeah. You're, you're not just going to be going out there and talking about faith, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. You're also going to be saying the nation is in trouble. Here's Joseph Smith. Here are his views. Vote for him. Mm. And so when this meeting is over, they call for uh, they call for anybody who will go right now to, to come up to the tables where the clerks of the church are. And, and this document exists. You can go look at it in Joseph Smith papers. They write down their names in order. Some are going to serve three months, some six, some 12. And their names are written and the state that they would like to serve in. And all those names are taken. When it's done, there's about 240 names. Okay. And uh, they, they reconvene. And you can see on the paper, they've crossed out some of the, the states and written different states. So they've had a little come together and, and kind of made a few reassignments. And then they say it out. They, they do the roll call out to everybody. And then they have a big cheer. And what happens after that is that the, um, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles meets for the next several days and more people volunteer as well. And by April 15th, they put out a, a list in the newspapers of everybody's assignment, where they're supposed to go, at which state they're supposed to go. And by then there's, there's over, uh, there's, there's over 300. There's about 330 by then. Oh, wow. So an additional so, almost 100 that join since that meeting. Right, right. And 
and and they start leaving right uh, and but there's there's meetings all throughout the rest of April and May where the electioneers come to public meetings and are trained on what they do Lorenzo Snow can't wait he leaves the next day uh, <laughs> of to, course to he Ohio, does of course to, he does to Ohio and gets on a, a steamboat the next day and gives the first he writes it in his journal the first political speech ever given for the prophet Joseph Smith right and one or two men have been assigned in each state to be the presidents of those states in the missionary work. And Lorenzo Snow is one of those. So he's one of the missionaries in uh, the president for Ohio is where he's sent. Mm -hmm. And so what, what's been interesting is that that's been the narrative forever in church history that there's been 300 or so that went out. Well, in my decades long here, uh, don't tell yourself short, 16 years, my friend. It's, a, it's been a long time. Yeah. I've, I've read the, every journal that anyone ever kept or any reminiscence that any one of those men ever kept. And when I do that, I'd find more people. Hmm. I was working with so-and-so and I was working with so-and-so and then scoured the newspapers about the conferences that were these conferences that were held out in the different states. And at these conferences, people would line up to, to join in. And you even had some missionaries that were out there already preaching and they get a letter in the mail saying, all right, now you're an electioneer, you know, mm -hmm. turn your efforts to not just preaching, but uh, campaigning for Joseph Smith. And so in my research, I've gotten up to 621. Oh, my God. I know there's I know there's more, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> there are some that are. I, I, out I, don't, there. I don't think there's a ton more, but I, I'm you know, there's definitely more. And I think that's important for three reasons. One, it shows how serious they were about it. Yeah. And the Council of 50 Minutes now, you know, have, have absolutely concretized the fact they were serious. They know there's never a missionary force like that again until 60 years later of that number of missionaries, right? 600. And as far as percentage of available missionaries, there's never been anything like that ever since. So I think the first thing about it is that it shows they were really serious. It's I think the second thing is... Let me interrupt real quick. It's worth noting timeline-wise, if people haven't put this together, then we talk about April of 1844. This is mere 10 to 12 weeks before um, Joseph Smith was killed. Correct. So just Correct. to kind of put that in the in the time frame of this was the time right preceding uh, Joseph Smith being martyred. That's right. And if Joseph had a real concern at this time about being killed, uh, he's not showing it because he's sending away the corpsman. He's sending away all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. All those that all would, who would protect him both verbally and physically. Right. And he's sending them out throughout the nation. And so it, that, that just shows they're very serious about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. The second thing that with me finding so many more is we learn so much more from their journey about what they're saying and what they're doing out there. And thirdly, by having this many missionaries, you know, there's they they I, I've calculated you know a rough calculation of what their descendants right, and there's been hundreds of thousands of descendants now wow. from these 621 men and one woman right, mm -hmm. and so you, me, I'm a descendant I'm a descendant of one of them, my wife is a descendant of one of them, you might be a descendant of one of them. I hope you and your there's wife aren't be... too close descendants. Of yeah, one no, of no, them. no, we're okay. we're okay, you're far, <laughs> we're far out, we're far enough out apart. Enough. Good, good, good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things I, I think is important about this book. And I've put a list at the back of the book and also on my uh, website, www.stormingthenation.com, 
of all the missionaries. And I'm slowly uploading biographies mm. of each one on that website so that if that is your uh, uh, ancestor, you can see what we know about what they did during the campaign. Let's take a quick break right here. When we come back, I want to ask about who that one woman is. You uh, you talk all about the all these men going out, and then you've made a point a couple of times to say, and one woman. I think even if all we know about her is her name, and I'm hoping you know more than just her name, I, I think we should dive into that and maybe a couple of the other missionaries of note. We'll do that coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Time for the third block of the Cultural Hall. And, you know, you hear me in most, if not every single episode, uh, talk about how you can contact us. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. Uh, that's our email address, and we'd love to hear from you. Now, here's the best part about that email address and this episode, which you've been listening to. That's how we got Derek and the attention of Derek to be here in the show. I'm going to share just a brief portion of Derek's email to me, and then... Uh, just encourage you, if you think you would be a good guest, or if you know someone that you would like to know more about, or even if you don't know that person, you're just like, I would love to hear more about topic A, topic B, or A, B, and C. You can send us that email. So it's contact at theculturalhall.com. This is Derek, a portion of Derek's email. He says, hello, my name is Derek Sainsbury. My new book, Storming the Nation, The Unknown Contributions of Joseph Smith's Political Missionaries, will be released on April 6th. Deseret Book and the Religious Studies Center at BYU are the co-publishers. I'm writing in hopes of being a guest on your podcast, and I didn't even have to read that far. By the time he said Storming the Nation, I was like, I'm on board. Let's email this guy back. Let's get him in. And so I'm grateful to have you here. Now, I had keyed up that we wanted to talk about uh, the one woman. So who is who is this this lone wolf? Her name is Nancy Naomi Tracy. And while there, there's actually 14 missionaries that take their wives on these um, missions, which wasn't totally unusual mm -hmm. in those days, she's the only one that we have evidence for being an electioneer as well. So what happens is she she grows up in upstate New York. She's very educated by 16. She's actually teaching school by 16. She marries um, Moses Tracy. And a couple of years later, they, they joined the church in 1832 and they moved to Kirtland and they experience all of Kirtland. They experience uh, the, the trials of Missouri. Her husband's on the run uh, because he was a part of one of the battles in, in that Mormon war and was, was, you know, they were looking for him. So they experience all of that. They go to Nauvoo. Um, she teaches school on the side and he, he works uh, as a carpenter and also as a, uh, as an assistant in one of the merchant stores. Well, the, the call comes and, and Moses Tracy is called to go to New York. He, he volunteers and is called to go to New York and his wife, Nancy says, well, I want to go too. <laughs> uh, go ask Joseph, right. If I could go. Right. And so, uh, that's what he does. Moses goes and he asks Joseph and Joseph says, yes, I want her to go. Um, and she will be a blessing to you. And so they pack up their kids. They got four kids, ages oh. two to 10 and they get on, uh, uh, two, you know, they, they, they make the route back to Sackett's Harbor, New York, taking, uh, two different, uh, steamboats and they get there. And, um, she's also wanting to go because she wants her parents to see, her kids, which they've never seen. And that's going to happen. And it'd be the only time it ever happens. So it's also kind of a sentimental reason for her to go as well. 
but then if we, we you look at her um, you look at her reminiscence and, and which she wrote several different times she is right there alongside her husband Moses she's actually she's an introvert she's an extrovert hmm. she's he, she's educated he's not as educated and so you know this is exciting for her and um, the two of them are teaching their families first is what they do mm-hmm. and bringing up the, uh, the, the politics. And then they go to their specific assignment in New York that they've been given to do it. And uh, they're, they're doing that side by side. And that's when they receive the news. It's now early July that Joseph has been killed. Mm. And as Nancy writes it, she says that her husband just collapses in tears and is saying, how can they be dead when they so soon set us apart for this? Hmm. Which I find interesting verbiage that she uses there. And one of the reasons why I include her as one of the electioneers. And um, they sadly make their way back to, uh, back to Nauvoo and, um, and then end up following Brigham and coming out here West. And she lives till 1896, I think. Wow. And so she's actually a major part of the end of my book. I won't say any more. Good, good, She's good, a major good. part of the end of my book, um, kind of wrapping up this whole experience of what's happened to these electioneers. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because you you name these names, you know, Nancy, Naomi Tracy, I'm gonna say, Correct. and Moses Tracy. And these are names I have not heard before. Yeah. I, I want to have heard of them <laughs> so badly. Like, I want to be like, yeah, of course, of course, I know this story. I don't. I haven't heard of them. Hopefully these are, you know, with the, with the help of your book and as we continue to talk about these things, that we're able to hear more about these these pivotal characters that maybe aren't in that mainstream narrative that we teach through the church but are just as important uh, as we shed light on all that time. Now, you in, in the email that you sent me preceding this discussion, you talked about that we could mention the good and the bad and the ugly and then also the funny. So... I hate to put you on the spot because, you know, I'm using your words back on you. But I would be curious to know, as we learn in your book of the missionary stories or, and electioneer stories uh, from traveling all over, what what funny happened? What is it? What's a funny thing that happened to these folks? Well, there there's several. There, so there's six straight weeks of rain in the upper Mississippi. OK, it's that doesn't the, sound very the, funny to me. No, it's called the Great Flood. The, the upper Missouri River has never, has never been higher and never has been higher. And it's so funny, almost to a T, all of them are talking about mosquitoes. And they keep talking about mosquitoes. And they are ticked about mosquitoes <laughs> as they're marching across the U.S. And I found, I found that funny. John D. Lee, who is, uh, is heading up the work in um, Kentucky, uh, he and a couple missionaries come over the, uh, the, uh, the brow of a hill and the, the town is out waiting for them, looking at them. And he says, he mentions in his journal that they, they, they act like we're circus animals. Hmm. And as they walk through town, nobody's saying anything. They're just looking at them. And he, he talks about how weird that is. And then finally, one of them yells out. And you, you can hear the Southern accent, I'm sure, hopefully in your mind, right? He says, I know what they are. They are the fish people. <laughs> and I just remember I was in the archives of the church reading that on microfilm and I, and, you know, total quiet, the whole library thing. And I just busted out laughing. They are the fish people. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that's referencing. Is it something? I have no idea okay. either. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't say anything more about it, but I just lost it. 
my and God. then there's there's also some kind of uh, you know one mission they would stay at the homes of members if they could find members every day right mm-hmm. which they didn't most of the days but when they could they would stay and there's several times where uh, for instance one says we stayed at the uh, the house of so and so and quote he has two fine looking girls end quote <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of this romance stuff yeah. that goes on in fact marriages even happen there was a there was a, a young missionary who he gets sick and so they they they, he has to convalesce at his companions. He's 18 at the time. He has to convalesce at his at his companion's parents' house. Mm-hmm. And the girl that takes care of him is the companion's sister. And of course, it's a Hallmark movie and they fall in love. Yeah. And the dad doesn't want them to fall in love. And the dad forces him to leave. And he goes and he completes his mission. And he comes back and the two of them will open and go to Nauvoo. <laughs> so you've got, you've got stuff like that. And even uh, one of them, one companionship just decided for whatever reason to attend a wedding. They just kind of wedding crashed and yeah. sat and they just say that they just attended this wedding. They were hungry. They needed, they, were, they, they needed probably, a meal. Maybe, maybe. So there's things like that, that are, that are kind of funny that kind of show the human nature of what's going on that, it, you know, that, that brings it alive, kind of like you were just talking about earlier, that, that brings alive the experiences of these people. It's sort of turning in our last few moments that we have together. You know, I, I think the narrative that either I have been taught or that I created in my head was um, that the leaders that helped lead the church out of Nauvoo and into the Salt Lake Valley were those who were sort of proven with Zion's camp. But several of these electioneers also found themselves to be in prominent positions within the church. Yeah, that's right. And that's uh, kind of what my research over all these years has has, has found out that uh, just they are used, these electioneers, so they're out there, right? They're preaching this Zion, the, the full Zion, right? They're mm-hmm. including the politics part of it. And then Joseph is assassinated and they're horror stricken. Yeah. And they're out there with the 12, by the way, right? The 12's out there going to all these conferences and meeting with them. And there's this this forging effect that, that, I, that I see happen uh, to the 12, which helps in the succession crisis. But to this idea of theodemocracy, this idea of a real, a fully realized Zion and the, the quorum of the 12 immediately after, you know, consolidating control of the church after Joseph's death, they start using these men very disproportionately to the available number. Right. Mm. These men are about 15% in the Nauvoo era. They're about 15% of available priesthood holders. And yet they're getting the vast share of assignments right after Nauvoo into the Exodus. And as my book points out, throughout the rest of their lives, they are disproportionately used in leadership positions. And leadership positions also meant in, in, in Utah Territory political positions right yeah. so yeah. if you're if you're the if you're the bishop of the town you're also the mayor of the town mm-hmm. right and that also led to the fact that um you had to practice plural marriage if you were that kind of leader mm-hmm. right yeah and that and that meant also um more, you were given more land this is the way they distributed land based on family and you had connections to others and so what what i found with these with these men as they came out west is a lot of them, disproportionate to the rest of the population, are in these leadership positions, which includes government positions, which includes they practice plural, plural marriage more, which includes that they also 
compared to the rest of the population generally were more well off. Hmm. And in their stories throughout the rest of their lives in Utah Territory, you see them trying to create these mini Naboos everywhere, right? The, the, this idea of Zion where everything is under one roof, one kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's a thing that we could continue to talk for 10 hours and we wouldn't cover it all. That's why, you've, that's why you've written the book. It's called Storming the Nation, the Unknown Contributions of Joseph Smith's Political Missionaries. Uh, people can go online to stormingthenation.com where you said there are resources uh, where they can, if they have an ancestor that might have been one of these electioneers, they can find a little bit more biographical information. Uh, I'm imagining they can also purchase the book there as well. Are there any, is there anything else uh, worth highlighting here Uh, that people can get at stormingthenation.com that you'd like to tease? Absolutely. They can follow us. If they go there, they can follow us on Facebook or on uh, Instagram or Twitter. And I am actually posting every day the campaign in real time. Like, so today I'm going to be posting April 2nd, 1844 and what's going on. And I've been doing that since January 29th. So if if you want to follow the campaign in real time, you Hmm. just follow us on one of these social media outlets and um, you can even go back and just kind of scroll through them and see how the campaign's been progressing. Interesting, especially for those that are nerdy like us who just right. want to know about all this stuff. And, <laughs> and, and, right. and, and, you know, that's kind of a fun aspect to be able to see that in the day by day by day. Uh, we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, Derek, three questions. You listen to the cultural hall. So I am going to ask you a fourth question. I'll actually ask Ooh. you that first question. Uh, that I don't ask everyone first. How did you first learn of the cultural hall? And do you have a favorite episode of it? So I, uh, I um, first learned of cultural hall um, just recently, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'd known about it, uh-huh. but um, I listened to the McKay Coppins interview. That okay. With uh, McKay Coppins from the Atlantic. I think it's episode 383, something like that, where yeah, he talks and- about the need for journalism. It's a, it's a great listen. If you haven't heard that one, to go back and listen to it. It, it is. And uh, I love, I love McKay. I've been following him for years and, and I, I thought it was a really good, timely episode. And I, so I looked at that and then I've, and that's been my favorite one. I've, I've looked at a couple others, but um, I, I, you're my, you're actually my first podcast. You're the first one to, to, to get all this information and from, from me. And so I guess I'll just turn it around on you and say, thank you for for having me on. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. Uh, remember, the the first rule of the Cultural Hall is thou shalt have no other podcasts before us. <laughs> That's right. So don't forget. <laughs> uh, now, the three questions we ask everyone. The first one is, is uh, do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I am currently the first counselor in a young single adult bishopric. Oh, now some people say that's the best calling. Others say it's one of the most challenging. Where do you fall? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Both. Got it. I absolutely love it. And it um, I have a very special place in my heart for our single brothers and sisters who can often be left behind. Yeah. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, I would definitely uh, be picked to be called to the uh, a, a modern council of 50. <laughs> uh, are we going as far as to say electioneer or do you want to leave that... Uh... Uh, if President Nelson wants to run, I'll I'll electioneer right. for him. All right, all right. <laughs> I love that. Uh, then finally, and interpret it however you would like. But what is your favorite part of your faith? 
I'll have to say that it's, uh, it's the savior. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I, I like to, I like to tell my students I'm a reform center <laughs> and, uh, he, he came into my life and totally changed it. And I think the thing about the savior that I'm, I'm thinking about the most in recent years is what Paul calls the mind of Christ. Hmm. I've been trying to really try and figure out what it means to have the mind of Christ. And I'll tell you, it's, it's changed so much about me. It's changed my politics. It's changed my relationship with my family, Hmm. uh, my relationship with academics, my relationship with just about everything. And it's all been good changes. Uh, Some of them, you know, would shock people who knew me before, <laughs> you know, but uh, as far as the way I think, but I, I think uh, I, the thing I find most distressful in these days is how divided we are. Yeah. And that's exactly what Joseph Smith uh, in so much of this that he's talking about is trying to overcome. He wants unity and that's what I want to. And uh, my favorite quote from his campaign is just a very small sentence. Unity is power. Yeah. Well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat on the back row.